This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You're listening to The Advisory Board. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we are here to lend a helping hand. I'm Megan Flamer. And I'm Alan Jones. We've been there before. Sure have. We've helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. Mm-hmm. Several levels. <laughs> Each week we are here to take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you send us all of your questions to Instagram. Um, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan and I mostly take, you know, personal requests like song requests also. <laughs> or you can reach out to us on disrupt.radio. Disrupt. This is the Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Not that Alan Jones. This is the advisory board on DAV Plus live or on disrupt.radio. Wherever you like to listen to us, we're really happy to be joining you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm Megan Flamer. I'm Alan Jones. And I wanted to ask you, Megan, how great are you at recruiting people? Are you good at hiring? Ooh. Ah, hmm. It's, I think it's a, it, that's a big question because if you're looking at recruiting generally, like just, you know, to find someone for a startup, for example, that you mm. might not be working directly with, oh, yeah. I am generally pretty good at that. Like I've placed a lot of people with, you know, you just have conversations with them. I'm actually, I'm, I feel like this is the same skill. I'm very good at setting people up who end up getting married. <laughs> That's my So I'm, yeah. I'm responsible yeah. for about seven couples getting married. But the case in point was that I've lived with all of them. Mm. So I don't know if they were just trying to get away from me and the next person that they were with. Like, so, um, and I'm not saying like necessarily boyfriends or whatever. I'm talking about like housemates <laughs> or like people I lived with in, you know, when I was at university or people after that, like the next person they were with or the person they were with when I was living with them. Yeah. And then they've all gotten married and they're all still together as yeah. well. So I feel like... Um, Form an orderly queue if you'd like to come and live in my spare room. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a similar thing. I feel like you get to know people, you yeah. get curious about what they're excited about and why they're excited about that particular thing or how they want to grow. I'm a big fan of culture ad, not culture fit. What's that mean? Oh, so culture ad is where you are looking at how someone can enhance and grow and contribute to something greater than what's already there in an organization. What? Whereas culture fit is someone who's going to fit in and be uh, one of the boys of the and like, yep, like you're doing the same thing. <laughs> and so I think it's, Often you're looking at, look, this person doesn't have 100% of the skills that you might be looking for, but they are the perfect person to take it to the next level. They're going to grow into the role. I think a case in point for this would be, you know, we were all working at Blue Chili. Um, Nicola Hazel and I were both running our respective accelerator programs and we really needed help. It was big projects, you know, it was the She Starts Accelerator I was working on the Accelerate um, Accelerator mm. program um, and we really needed help. We needed it like a program manager person and Philippa Arouge, who is just an incredible, incredible operator, but maybe hadn't worked so much in that particular space before. But the moment she came in and I can remember 
I was actually walking around the streets of New Zealand. Um, I was on a on a recruitment tour. That's a country. For, it must have been a city. Yeah, yeah, Wellington. Wellington. I was in Wellington. I was walking around the streets of uh, of Wellington, and it was very cold. Oh yeah. And we interviewed her, and I was chatting um, with a few of the Blue Chili Gang. You know, kind of trying to figure out mm-hmm. is this the right person, and what does that look like? And we were just like, I just have this feeling about Philippa. Like she's just incredible. She's so focused and organized, and she she has a lot of the skills and amazing things that we would need to fill in the gaps of, you know, where we're working. But also I could see she has these elements of taking it to a new level. Mm-hmm. And in having that conversation, I mean, not only did I find one of my most favourite people in the world, like she's become a very dear friend and an amazing, amazing person in my life, but she also, you know, was so obviously the person to step into the role when I left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, she just absorbed everything, anticipated everything, was just fantastic and is now running accelerator programs of her own and is doing incredible things in the space and supporting founders all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a, a level of intuition, but I think it's also recognising your own weaknesses and yeah. where you might be falling short. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've hired some people that have gone to become very close friends and, and, you know, expanded into roles as I vacated them. I mean, that's something that um, you didn't come in and fill exactly the same role as me, but I did manage to to, um, to encourage you to come back to Sydney and, and, and work with us and, and our team. And, and then, unfortunately, I left. I think that was very rude. I think it was very rude. <laughs> like, you were like, let's work together. It'll be incredible. And then I got back and I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a circumstance of my choosing. But um, I, I think... Uh, being able to find the time to network with a lot of people in a, in a social setting, in a professional social setting, yes. is probably one of the most important parts of being able to find the candidates you need for roles when you're hiring. I, I think, you know, there's probably 10, 15 people, none of them have been flatmates of, of mine, mm-hmm. but they're people I've come to know through the startup community, through attending events, through, you know, making new friends rather than speaking to the friends that I already have at those events, that's always been my way to, to find the people. Um, the, the first thing, I hate job ads. I hate job ads. I feel like the most interesting and amazing jobs I've had have never come from a job ad. They've come from having a conversation with someone at an mm. event in San Francisco and then two years later having a chat with someone else from that company who's like, hey, if you're back in the country and you want to come and have a chat with us, then do that, you know. Building those connections and those networks is is so important, but I think it also lets people get to know you and you get to know them and you get to start to see if this is going to be a fit or something that's great or something you want to, you know, do you want to start a company together? You want to do a podcast? Mm. Do you want to do this? Do you mm. want to do that? Like those connections and community are are so important for, for how we build our job networks. And, and I also, can I just... Networking is such a dirty word, I think, especially in Australia. Yes. People hate it. Yeah. And I think it does have that terrible, like, post-conference, let's have a drink and just Connect talk about on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, eh. yeah. It's something very different, I think, in the entrepreneurial community. Um, I like to think about it as I'm going to share what I'm excited about. You share what you're excited about. Let's see if our excitements touch somewhere. Where's the Venn diagram of our excitement touch? And most importantly for me is always, do I know anyone who could help you with 
what you're excited about. Mm. Like, I think that's always a nice way to go in and think about it. So, you know, if you're an introvert or someone who's really shy or someone who just generally freaking hates networking, mm. going in with a mindset of I'm listening to hear how I could be helpful. Mm. I'm listening to hear if there's anyone that I know who could help someone because, and maybe this is corny and ridiculously earnest, but now you know that's what I'm like. Um, I think our opportunity is always to help people with their dream and yeah. with what they're excited about. Like, why would you not? Yeah, and you don't have to solve all the difficult problems no. right there and then. You, you know, if you can just give them a little bit more hope, a little bit of inspiration and, and maybe say, hey, I might know someone. Here's, you know, an email address or a QR code or something. Yes. Let's let's catch up later about it. And, uh, you know, practicing that, that paying it forward principle as well, you know. So, so rather than going into those you know, meet up opportunities with, right, this is what I'm going to get out of this thing. Like, you know, have that in mind as well. But as a secondary goal, go yes. in because, you know, five people helping you is not as powerful as you helping five people. The the compounding benefits, the return on investment in helping five people last for decades yes. and, and, and will pay you back many times over. That's five it. people helping you. It, it, will, it will help you for the next month, maybe. Yes, that's it. I really do feel that that is the fundamental difference between the US and Australia. Mm, well. I, I really, I mean. The imperial the, measurement system. The guns thing. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I'm, you know, in terms of yeah, the ecosystems, sure. I feel like people are showing up in San Francisco generally and in the Bay Area and in the startup ecosystems over there, constantly looking for how they can add value. And I often notice and how I'm approached a lot in Australia is what can you do for me? Mm. What can you do for me? And I need this. Can you help? Yeah, Mm. I need this. Can you help? I've not contacted you in two years, Mm. but I need this thing now. Can you do this thing? It's your responsibility to to do that. And the the follow-up and the thank you is also poor in Australia, I found. And that's one of the things that we did a lot during accelerator programs. It's one of the last classes that I run. Here's how to thank someone. If someone helps you, and especially if it's someone like both of us, I mean, big part of why we even started this program was because we are constantly asked for advice and we're Mm -hmm. constantly being, you know, asked about it. And we were hopeful that in doing this kind of program, we would be able to actually, you know, um, spread this knowledge a bit bit further and be helpful to a wider audience, Mm -hmm. but also selfishly save ourselves a little bit of time of like all the personalized responses. So listeners, if you're lucky enough to get some help from Megan... (laughs) It's really important to follow up afterwards, right? If she introduces you to someone or she, she recommends something for you to read, it's really important to get back to her and get back to anybody. But um, yeah, anyone, yeah. Get back to somebody once you've done that thing or read that thing or spoken to that person and say, thank you, first of all. Yes. And then be specific about why you want to thank them, right? So here yeah. is the the lesson that I took away from that thing that you told me to read, or this was the surprising thing that I learned about that person you introduced me to and how that's going to affect, you know, my journey from, from here on out. So sometimes when I get thanks, it's just, oh, thanks. You know, it was a great meeting. Thanks very much. Why? What happened? Yeah. (laughs) You know, how can I be sure that I'm introducing the right people to the right people? If, if, 
I never hear back from from what happens. You know, I don't necessarily have to be thanked. Uh, I've got a lot to be thankful for anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place right now. But, but you know, just like I want to be better at helping people. I want to be a better matchmaker. I want to be a better mm-hmm. source of advice for people. You really got to come back to me and tell me specifically, like, what worked, what didn't work, what would be better next time. Yes. And don't be an entitled brat. I think that's also important. <laughs> <laughs> just as a general life rule, I think that's yeah. that's important. But, yeah, saying thank you, like the fact that I'm shocked when people say thank you mm. is it makes me a bit sad, but it's also made me put much stronger boundaries around my time. Mm. Um, you know, I think I'm still incredibly generous and, you know, so much of working in and around the ecosystem means that you do tons of stuff for free. It's yeah. just how the ecosystem works and it's personal favours and personal time and office hours and all of those things. And, you know, the way in which you work, you know, you might be in a bunch of different roles and you're still constantly being referred to people and being kind of pimped out as like, mm-hmm. oh, she's good contact, you should talk to her mm-hmm. or he's amazing, you should talk to him about X, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's that's time, you know, that's people's time. It's incredibly valuable. So at least, at least saying thank you for the time. But if it really works out, get somebody's street address, right, and send yes. them a nice little handwritten note, you know, a little bouquet of flowers, a bottle of wine. Yes. Ask another friend of theirs what they like. It's to yeah. show them that you found out about them and learn something about them and give them something that was going to mean something to them. Um, that You know, we all get, oh boy, I come back this probably every episode, you get the behavior you reward. Yes. You know? Yes. If somebody does something really powerful and really actionable and useful for you, you can encourage them to do that again and again. Mm. If you reward that behavior, whether it's a puppy dog or a startup person, yes. the same principle applies. Yeah. And actually saying like, you know, the last time I helped you out with this, I just didn't even hear back from it. Like, I think it is being firm. I should say that coming up later on, mm. on the advisory board today, we are going to be speaking with an incredible no code expert, Lana Wheel, mm-hmm. who is the founder of Market Mindfully and also the founder of of her own no-code app. And I will call out Lana for being someone who is fantastic at saying thank you and following up. She has sent me cards and gifts to thank me for doing tiny little things. She wrote a blog post about our show. Yeah, she's incredible. She's just an incredibly generous and amazing person Hmm. who's showing up for the ecosystem, believes in it strongly, is a champion of women. Hmm. But she's also someone who always says thank you. And I'm, it just sticks out. She was so raised much. right. She was, well, I don't know if it's being raised right. I think it's also just that thing of, you know, acknowledging and paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like where are you taking and where are you giving? Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a broke starting out founder is a hard place sometimes to be generous from. Like mm-hmm. I think it can often feel like I don't have any money, I don't have any, you know, da, 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 you know, trying to figure that out. And so sometimes you're coming from a place of lack and scarcity Hmm. And you sometimes forget that there are a lot of things that you can do. I mean, it doesn't have to look like sending flowers. It just can look like a thoughtful note. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be rich to be thoughtful. You don't have to have a lot of money to to be someone who, you know, does the right thing, shows up, does what they say they'll do, thanks people, you know, is kind. Kindness is so free. So, yeah, I think... This is a perfect segue. We have a letter. Into our letter. Dear advisory board, for about nine months now, 
I've been trying to recruit someone to join my startup as a technical co-founder. I have a solution to a problem that hasn't yet been solved in the dating space, but the offshore development team I paid to build an MVP did a pretty shoddy job and the whole thing needs to be built again from scratch. That's a common theme. I'm a CEO, not a coder, and I need to find a tech co-founder to lead the development team while I focus on signing up partnerships and raising capital. But despite pitching it to several candidates in the startup community and even running an on an ad on online job sites, uh, I don't have anyone interested in joining me. Where are they hiding? How do I find a technical co-founder? From Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, I take it they're revenges of the hiding. Yeah, that's it. Well, so I would like to point out um, MVP, if you haven't heard of that before, um, just a minimum viable product. So it sounds like they've mm. just got the basic mm. product built by someone overseas okay. and it's not working and it's a bit crap. Yeah. Um, this is a common theme, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we used to say back in the in, in the old days that if you're solving a valuable enough product uh, problem for mm-hmm. a customer, then then you can have a bug, buggy product, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that can be um, that, that can be a, a problem because mm-hmm. sometimes actually bugs can stop customers from using products. Yeah. Um, so, you know, something can look shoddy but work really well. Mm-hmm. Something can work really badly. And look really great. (laughs) Those things are are not the same. But, you know, technical co-founders do kind of hide from problems. Well, I know a lot of technical co-founders on LinkedIn, for example, literally just have a shadow presence. Mm. They don't want to be bugged. They're so sick of being targeted by recruiters. Mm. So it does become one of those areas where you do need warm introductions. You do need to actually connect with people. You do need to actually know people. Mm. Be really clear about what it is that you're talking about. I mean, we just spoke before about, you know, I feel like in the Bay Area, a lot of people are walking around wearing their hearts on their sleeves and talking about what they're excited about. Who do you know who is also excited about the dating space? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, first of all, if somebody's capable of being a technical co-founder, they're probably also capable of being a, a, a technically based startup CEO themselves, they might have their own vision for, mm-hmm. for something else that they want to build. So this is a persuasion game. You've got to persuade somebody that, that your vision is more interesting and more exciting and more inspiring than, than your own one. A challenge with, with some of the problems we want to solve for some of the customers and dating might be one of those mm-hmm. is that, you know, maybe some of the people that you've been speaking to about joining the firm aren't all that inspired by solving whatever it is problem that you're working on in the dating space. Yes, I think that's I think that's very true. And I think, you know, they might be looking at the market opportunity or whatever else that is. But I do think you'll meet more people the more you're talking about it, the more you're going out there. Mm. There are a lot of programs now, you know, around accelerator programs or some of the VC groups where you can find technical co-founders. Like you can literally go to these kind of meetups or it's almost like speed dating where you yeah. try and find a co-founder. Yeah being active in communities. There's a lot of community slacks Mm -hmm. going to, um, you know, I know a bunch of people who've gone into an accelerator program where they've ended up dissolving their respective ideas and joining Mm. forces and doing something. So that could look good. The Antler program specializes in that. And I see, you know, a red flag in this letter. 
mm. where, where um, Revenge of the Nerds says, I'm a CEO, not a co-founder, and I need a tech co-founder to lead the development team while I focus on signing partnerships and raising capital. Now, it's it's great if everybody's got a you know a set of superpowers and a, and a primary responsibility, but at the, at the very early stages of a business, this should be a much more collaborative process than how this mm. sounds. You know, I've got all the vision, I know what we're gonna build, I just need you to build the I'm thing. I'm a CEO. I'm the ideas guy, Do I'm the job. CEO. Yeah, 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 exactly. That doesn't sound like co-founding a company with somebody to me. No, you know, I it agree. It should be more collaborative. And also, I mean, I wonder why don't they just hire someone to build it? I mean, it sounds yeah. like they've tried the offshore development team, which is a tale as old as time. Like mm. people do that. Like, mm. and, then they, and sometimes it works really well. Mm, sometimes, I'm, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. as long as you've got really clear parameters on who owns the IP and who mm. owns the product and what that looks like and how do you make updates and changes and all of those bits and pieces, it can work well. Mm. But I think especially if you are very new to this and you're flying blind and you're just starting, yeah, be careful. Yeah, because you have no skills. You know, um, I have an analogy here. It, 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 say, you know, I, I need a neurosurgeon, right? I need my head operated on. There's something wrong with my brain and I need a neurosurgeon. Now, I can't evaluate my, you know, give me five neurosurgeons, I, I can't evaluate their skills. I can speak to previous customers and some of those customers might have had a great experience. Some might have not had a great experience. They might blame the neurosurgeon um, when it's actually the anesthetist's fault, right? <laughs> or, or, you know, perhaps, you know, the odds were never great anyway, but I just believe the operation was going to work. But when the neurosurgeon does their work, I'm unconscious. You know, I'm unconscious on the table and I don't know anything until I wake up and then I see. And often when, when a non-technical person is, is working with a team of, of engineers and product managers and so on and so forth, to them it kind of feels like that. They are unconscious on the table. They have to wait until the team has, has built something that they can touch and feel and, and play with. That's Software so is invisible until it's completed. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. And you're trying to kind of reverse engineer that. I do, I, from everything that Revenge of the Nerds is saying, I do kind of feel like it's not a technical co-founder that they're looking for. Yep. They are looking for a hire. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe also, you know, making some, some further progress with a no-code solution so that there is some sort of proof that, that customers love your solution to this problem in the dating market. You know, mm. if it's possible to build something, you know, with um, somebody who's not a technical co-founder but who can build a thing, and if not then, then if you can get started with something on a, on a low-code, no-code platform basis, you might be able to show that actually this is much more interesting and more inspiring than, than a typical engineer might think. Wouldn't it be so amazing, Alan, if you could have a beautiful vision for an app or for a website or mm. for a company and all you had to do was drag and drop and just pull it together in a way that was visually pleasing without needing to know any code at all. Like a woo noise as I drag and drop. Yeah, woo, just like woo, look at it, beautiful. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. It would be amazing. This is the advisory board with me, Megan Flamer. And me, Alan Jones. Alan, can you code? Not very well at all, <laughs> um, but I really, really want to. And I spent a lot of time uh, making tiny little incremental bits of progress and I'm still very shit at it. I started um, trying to code in high school. Mm -hmm. My friend Martin, who's who's now a, a very gifted software developer and very well respected, uh, he decided we were going to build um, an app, in those days you called them programs, um, on the Apple IIe uh, to help gamblers uh, um, uh, be more successful at, at the horse races 
Oh. So every yeah every every Monday I think it was, um, we get the we get the the results from the horse races on the weekend and then manually key them in to a program and and we had subscribers we had an ad in the paper and you could uh, send in a check and we would send you a floppy disk with with the oh, program wow. on it and you'd run it and then you'd have to subscribe to like we'd send you out you know so it, it was that was very early on and there was a time you know I was. Um, uh, I was responsible for a while for for the updating the homepage of, of Yahoo for for Australia and New Zealand, and uh, and I was learning hand coded HTML by by co- live coding with no backup uh, the, oh, the homepage, so I had no staging server to put it on. Um, so it was it was very apparent when I made a mistake because the homepage broke and yeah. a lot of people noticed. So I had to try and do it sort of after midnight. Oh yeah, yeah. You've always got to be careful. My, I was kind of lucky because my uncle had, um, you know, he was teaching you can literally commute well computer science. As well? Yeah, I mean, I'm very bad at it. It's oh. definitely not my strength, mm. and it's very poor. But so, um, you know, my uncle would let us loose on his computer, and you know, we'd be using DOS, you know, mm. <laughs> the old dirty directory stuff, mainly to find games like Alley Cat. And you know um, Hugo's House of Horrors, Shoplifter, yeah, and like all of those little things. And you know sometimes Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, if Mum yeah. wasn't looking, that was a good one. <laughs> but you know we'd be kind of hunting through there. But then by the time I got into computing class at school, um, I started fiddling around and looking for the games. You know, like mm-hmm. typing in all the directory sort of commands that I knew, and got absolutely shut down by the teacher. Was made fun of by a, a lot of the guys in the class and as a result, just kind of stopped playing with it. And, you know, I would still kind of secretly do it at home where I'd kind of, you know, be putting little bits and pieces in. But then I was kind of shamed into not pursuing that as something that I was interested in. And it wasn't until way later when I was living in San Francisco and I did a couple of dev boot camps so that I could, Mm -hmm. you know, I was leading teams of people that I had no business leading Mm -hmm. because I didn't know really what they were doing. So I thought I'm going to go and learn the basics of a couple of languages and learn some basics of code and what that would look like. And as I was, you know, starting to learn how to build some basic code, I was like, Ah, this I remember this. This is the same as this. Okay, that's it. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm not in any way a good coder. It's not something I would ever do for a job, but I understand I think a few of the basics and the frustration of it. Like I'm not a fan of puzzles. I just don't understand why people do them. Yeah, I just think that's just an annoying, yeah. frustrating thing. Maybe it's like the sand mandala thing, mm. you know, where you're creating something very beautiful only for it to be blown away in the wind. I'm just like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. This makes no sense. And I feel like with coding, it's the sort of thing. It's pattern recognition. It's figuring out where things go or what's Holding missing. Holding it all in your head all at the same time. It's you know, amazing. Yeah, like yeah, really yeah. amazing. Mm. You know, I've seen some incredible software engineers looking at entire pages of moving code and being able to spot where the problem is, where the gap is, like just it's incredible to me and it is like speaking another language but Mm. I feel like my time is better spent doing (laughs) Well, I think probably, you know, one thing we both have in common is probably, you know, to a degree software development is a people problem. Yes. And you're probably really great at at the people problems that arise (laughs) when you're building products out of software and and even out of hardware as well, you know, because like everything is trying to solve a problem for a customer. Yes. And if you're not very good at understanding customers and what they really want rather than what they say they want, that's a bit of a handicap. So I've been helpful sometimes in those sorts of places. And then there are always, you know, 
every, everybody um, wants to work on a particular part of the code base or a particular part of the hardware. And sometimes you don't get to do that. You know, sometimes you need to contribute to another part of it. Um, maybe that causes tensions in the team or maybe one team is trying to take over from another team. It's mostly people issues when it comes to software. Yes. And, you know, everything that we're trying to do is in service of people and communities and bringing people together and solving big problems in the world. And our next letter is trying to do exactly that. Really? Dear Advisory Board, I have a community project that I'm so excited to bring to life. We have a huge following online and we're connecting folks and solving big problems for them in their local areas. We really want to build an app or a platform or something to help us do more with everyone. Uh, We're only a tiny team of four people, but we have no budget and none of us are technical. I built us a site that looks terrible, (laughs) but I've heard you don't need to know how to code websites to make them look better. Could we make something ourselves from Community Minded? Well done, Community Minded, getting started and and building a website that looks terrible. It's better than no website. Yeah, that's great. And it's, it's actually not too hard now to build a website that doesn't look too terrible. Like, I feel like there are options, like, I... One of the things that kind of gets my back up straight away if someone's like, oh, no, no, we built this amazing Weebly site or we built this amazing Wix mm. site, I'm always like, mm. you could have used Squarespace or something that looks good. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities. But one of the things that we thought we would really focus on here is the fact that none of them can code. And, yes, there are free possibilities for people to build a site or build other bits and pieces, um, you know, for an actual website. My first piece of advice to community minded would be do really find out from the community. You know, you said you've got a huge following online. Do find out from them what they actually want Mm. because it can be expensive and complicated, especially to build something like an app instead Mm. of a platform. So, do your customer interviews still and find out what people do really want in that space. But once you've done that and you're clear on it, there are actually a lot of things that you can do to make something without knowing how to code. So our next guest has worked with some of Australia's most well-known brands, local businesses, as well as early stage startups and accelerator programs. Lana Wheel is the founder of Market Mindfully, supporting purpose-driven businesses to share their stories. She is also the creator of Women of Statue, a no-code site showcasing monuments of women around the world, which is why we thought she'd be the perfect person for us to speak to to help community-minded. Lana, thank you for joining us. Hi, Lana. Kia ora, Alan. Kia ora, Megan. Thank you so much for having me here today. Super excited to chat about no-code tools. The possibilities are endless. It's very exciting. So can you just kind of go, if people haven't heard of no-code before, can you give us a bit of a, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) I love the name no-code. I feel like it does uh, give you some freedom. So anybody who doesn't know how to code, uh, doesn't consider themselves technical, can create something with these tools. And no-code basically just means, you know, you've got a drag and drop platform or you just have to figure out where to click. You don't actually have to know any coding languages. You don't have to beat a technical person, um, but you just have to know how to, you know, create a login, create a password, uh, drag and drop, click here, click here. Uh, that's, I think, one of the most uh, biggest challenges is even marketing in the online world is just figuring out where to click. It's That's kind of the hardest thing. And these days there are so many helpful guides, YouTube videos, and people breaking them 
breaking down what they're doing online. There's a really big build and public movement, which is really amazing as well within the no-code uh, space where people showcase exactly how they've built businesses all on no-code platforms too. So they're just basically, you know, platforms or uh, software, things that you can log into and create things. So um, some really common ones, uh, MailChimp, it's an email platform. Squarespace is also considered no-code, even though you can add uh, code into that platform. And uh, WordPress is kind of the OG uh, website building platform that technically you don't need to code to build a website with as well. I built my first website on WordPress and tried to do lots of they, they use widgets all the time. And so I'd be trying to do all these fancy little widgets and bits and pieces. And it's proof that you can actually build an entire e-commerce and marketing business off the back of a very crappy website. So don't, don't let the website stand in your way. It's possible to build a good business. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And the website thing is so funny. There are still so many websites that look like they've been made in the 90s. And I think some of them are probably from WordPress. But these days with Squarespace and even WordPress, there's so many templates that you can just copy and then customize to your own uh, branding and mission as well, which I really love. So Squarespace is a really, really popular one. They look quite sleek and uh, new. But then there's a few others like Card, which I really love, C-A-R-R-D. It's super, super cheap for both the, the domain and the hosting and the um you know, the content management system where you edit everything on the website. Now, I think it's about less than $20 a year for a website as well. So if you've got something super basic that you want to do, I would highly recommend that one. But if you want to get a bit more sophisticated, um, again, it depends on what you want to do because you can create them with a Notion now. You can create them with an Airtable and then... Um, I use Pori, which is an Australian-based startup as well. <gasps> that one's a really cool one. Pori. Alan and I both had yeah. Pori, um, the amazing Looney and Sam, yeah. who were in one of the uh, the Monash Accelerator programs. Yeah, an awesome team. Um, Lana, uh, how much do I need to understand about what kind of um, platform that I'm going to build before I begin, right? So a product like Pori, you know, is is, is often used to build things like directories or, or two-sided marketplaces, something like WordPress can be made very flexible, but it kind of starts out as a, as a way to build, you know, like a, a blog or a, or a static website that's most about information. Um, can I start with, I think I'm going to do this and then change my mind part way through without chucking everything out? Or do I need to be pretty clear, first of all, on you know, the sort of platform that, that I want my startup to be? Oh, that's a really good question. I would always recommend that you try and be as clear as possible before you jump in because there are so many different options. There are literally thousands of no-code tools now and uh, the options just to create a basic website are super... Uh, you know, there's there's lots of them. There's lots of different options. So I would definitely recommend getting clear on what you want to build and why. Uh, often, I always recommend that someone has a website, even if it doesn't look very great. You know, a website is your brand hub. It's the place you have the channel you have the most control over. It's where people will find you and stalk you online, and they will read most of your pages as well. So it depends on what you want to build. If you're building, you know, if you want to, if you have a community like community minded, and you want to build something for them, an app, a platform, a something for them, you really need to nail down on what are you wanting to build? Do you want to connect your members? Or do you want them to be able to list products or ads for other people in the community? Does it need to be two-sided? Are there um, community people and uh, you know suppliers or mentors coming to them as well? So it really depends on what that is first, I think. So mapping out your product or your website, what you want to include on there is really, really important. And then you look at the tools to see how they can fit in with your idea or your mission. Because if you go to the tools first and kind of like customize your idea for the tools, you might miss out on something really big that your customers really want as well. So that's that's pretty important. 
Can you tell us a bit more about women of statue? Like how, cause I look at that and I'm like, how did you build that without code? Like it's really cool, but it's also very interactive and it's got a beautiful, amazing information. Can you talk us through the journey of how you made it? Yeah, definitely. I uh, found NoCo Tools a few years after joining the startup world, and I was completely mind blown at all of the applications. Uh, I'll just mention two really great applications that I really love as well, which are really cool and mind blowing because they kind of have a build in public thing um, going on as well. One's called Unicorn Factory. It's like a marketplace for freelancers in New Zealand, and it's super cool, built on MemberStack, Webflow, Zapier, and Airtable. And the founder talks publicly about how we built it and all that kind of stuff, which is really amazing. Another one is Rebel Book Club, and they're in the UK and they're a subscription-based book club and they've scaled to like 10,000 pounds of monthly recurring revenue, which is really amazing. And that's just built on WordPress, Typeform and Mighty Networks. And again, they talk about that publicly about how they did that. So I was really inspired by these founders who do these really cool things and I wanted to do something. So Women of Statue is not a um, business, like it's not a money-making thing, but I created it to showcase how fun no-code tools are. And uh, I started out looking at monuments of women around the world because we know there's a crazy power imbalance and throughout history um, most of the statues have been men and it's more recent history where the uh, women have come into place so uh, I first started by uh, copying some information from the internet into a spreadsheet and then I use Glide. So Glide apps is re- are really amazing. Again, so many different applications for directories. Um, I know some accelerators that are running their whole programs on this app now as well. Uh, you can like, uh, you know, showcase all of your team and then also have forms for people to fill out. Or, you know, as you say, you can create this engagement and it's, it's more of a web app. So um, you don't have to download it from the Play Store or anything. You can just go to like, for mine is just Woman of Statue. I think it's .io. I should try, double check that. But... <laughs> Anyway, the point is, uh, it's just a spreadsheet and a drag and drop builder. So uh, I had a spreadsheet of here's the title of the monument, here's their location, uh, here's a bit of a description, and here's a link to find more. And then you can just drag and drop how you'd like that information to be presented on the screen. And then you, then you can choose uh, what types of screens and how to present that information. So I've got a world map, and then I've got uh, the statues as an option. So you can uh, look by a statue, or you can look by the people um, that the that the statues Uh, created for and then I think there's also a timeline as well so you can look at um, like really old statues or really recent statues as well so it's uh, no code tools are a really fun way to present information as well but it depends on what you're wanting to do so I just wanted to share information so it's kind of like a directory that you can click around and have fun and learn a bit of history Um, but again if you're community minded and you want to connect your community uh, glide apps could be a good one for that you can integrate with forms you can um, potentially create like a comment section and things like that um, but if you're creating a membership in a community, I think it's really important to think about what you want them to do because there are many different membership uh, no-code tools as well. There's like Circle, Member Space, Member Stack, um, and some really fun ones that I really like. Uh, there's an, a, an Australian woman who's co-founded one called Sunroom, which is if you already have a community online, you can create. It's kind of like a mix between... Um, OnlyFans and Patreon. So it's like if oh, you've already wow. got a community, you can share your private or like your more saucy or more intimate oh. um, information through Sunroom. Oh, I they, won't um, open that here in the studio then. <laughs> you don't, it's, it's, not, it's not all spicy stuff, yeah. but it's yeah. just like people who are getting banned on uh, Instagram were losing access to the community. So yeah. they've created this platform to um, provide uh, access to people. I'm furiously so making notes here. Like there's so <laughs> many. I've, I kind of know about it's 10 of these. Of I was like, notes. yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
is it important to think about, you know, the context and the place? So, you know, thinking about um, sharing saucy images, for instance, that might not be something I want to do in my work computer. Maybe that's something I need to think about. You know, the user is probably going to want to use this on, on their smartphone, for instance. I see that Women of Statue has a QR code there. I can I can scan the QR code and then I get a, you know, a, a, what looks like a mobile native version of, of the app on my phone. Is that right? Yes, yes. So um, the classic thing where you go to uh, a URL and then you can say like save this app on home screen. So that's kind of like the web app application. You don't download the app from the app stores, but you can save it and it acts like an app on your phone. So um, in, in your case, I guess that was important because you figured people might want to go and see the statues and take that information with them so they can find it, right? Yes, yes, I think they have it on the move or on desktop as well. And I think that's really important too. I always, one of the first things I look at within analytics is are your users on desktop or are they on mobile? Mm. Because it's good to know if you're um, updating your website and you're creating this really slick, amazing desktop version of your website when 95% of your users are on mobile, then you really need to look at mobile as well. So definitely uh, huge, uh, huge things to look at there. Yeah, Because some of those platforms are better or worse at supporting mobile users or desktop users, aren't they? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's really fantastic for community minded as well. That's such great advice, Lana. Like, you know, they're looking at how they can really service this community, but understanding are they people who are, you know, engaging with this community on, you know, their desktop or on their laptop or whatever, or are they using it on their phone? Do they need to make it in that space? You know, how do they interact with it? How are they connecting? And so I think, again, it's about going to the customers, having those conversations, finding out what they really want so that, you know, if it is in servicing that community, that you're you're offering a product that's in line with that. And definitely in line with your internal team uh, capabilities as well. If they have absolutely no budget, then obviously the tools are going to be a bit more limited. Uh, some tools I know have specials or like, um, you know, free version for not-for-profit. So if they are like not-for-profit, that would be really fantastic. And like, uh, there would be even more options for them, I think. Uh, but every tool has a cost as well. And like, uh, you're trading off uh, features often if you choose one over the other. And uh, it's really exciting, uh, the integration between the tools as well. We haven't mentioned Zapier or make.com. Uh, those are super, super powerful no-code tools that integrate uh, two different platforms. So if you get a form submitted somewhere, you can create an action in another uh, platform as well. The uh, applications of uh, those are really, really mind-blowing as well. So I might use a form on a, on a web app to uh, take some, some customer details or some prospect details that, that might then go through Make or, or Zapier and end up in a, in a CRM, customer relationship management software, like a HubSpot or a Pipedrive or something like that. So I can then connect that to something like a MailChimp maybe so I can send those people an email newsletter. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's one example of the, like literally thousands of examples of, um, they've got some really great guides on their website as well. It's like if you use these two um, platforms, say you use MailChimp and Squarespace or, you know, a HubSpot or whatever you use, and they give you suggestions about how to use the tool as well. And again, that one's just knowing where to click and kind of understanding the concept of how you're connecting them and what, what you want these tools to do. Super mm. cool. Lana, I know that you've worked on many accelerator programs. We have worked on accelerator programs <laughs> with you as well. But, you know, one of the things that we've noticed around no code is that it's kind of levelling the playing field in a lot of ways. You know, it doesn't have to look like maybe the more traditional founder or the, you know, code heavy founder. Do you think that's changing the dial a little bit? Definitely. No-code tools have been around for a long time. You know, like WordPress is one of the OG tools and that's been around, I think, since before the 90s even. I'm not too sure when it was created. But yes, definitely. They, the term we say is that it's democratising uh, technology oh, for everybody. Yeah, like so that. 
uh, it's definitely providing easy access. Like if you have an internet connection, you can create free accounts for any of these tools and test and learn and create them as well. So I think there's a lot of startups I've found these days that are doing content delivery or content uh, or community management. So content delivery, it's kind of like an online course, right? You're taking three people through something for a certain amount of time and you're giving them information. Uh, or a community, again, you might be hosting events or you might be connecting people or you might just be talking to a whole bunch of people about the same thing. So with those two, I think uh, you should, uh, in my opinion, I think you should be <laughs> definitely using no-code tools because it's a really easy way. There's already systems set up. Uh, they've they've um, made it cost-effective for you as well. So sure, you might have a monthly recurring fee to use these tools, but you don't have to create any custom tech because you're, you're just delivering content and your specialty is the uh, information delivery or the community management rather than the technology itself. Yeah, Solana, if I'm starting cold, you know, and, and never done any coding before, um, is, is there an education course or some reading material that I could start with so that I could actually learn about all the different tool options before I start trying to build something? Or is that unnecessary? I think, yeah, definitely watching a couple of YouTube videos at least before you get stuck in. And I would like search things like no code tools for whatever it is you're trying to do, whether it's for a website or an app or a, you know, membership, what are you trying to do? And then watch a few of those videos and people do some really good ones of like five no code tools for community members or things like that as well. So there's definitely a lot of information out there. So every single tool will have a knowledge guide and probably a YouTube channel or probably a podcast as well, going into detail about how to use each of the tools. Um, and yeah, as I said before, there's often founders talking about how they've made them as well, which I think is really exciting. Uh, I wanted to shout out to uh, Code Like a Girl and Girl Geek Academy. Megan, yes. you mentioned your kind of rough experiences in the uh, tech world, trying to learn that kind of stuff. And I think those two groups are doing some really, really, really amazing work educating uh, women and girls about how to learn. And um, yeah, there's some really great platforms online as well. There's like, a, uh, I think it's called No Code MBA and there's like No Code Founders there. Again, free um, or paid communities that you can join or just look through their list of like epic, epic No Code tools. And then they have like educational things that you can sign up for for a cost as well, if you like. Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's so <a> great. <laughs> I also feel like it's just... It just makes it so much more accessible to everybody. And I think that's what's so powerful about it. Like the less gatekeeping, the more that we make this accessible to everyone, the more that people can build things. Yeah. You know, being online, being digital, being accessible in these spaces is what's important, really. Like if you're a subject matter expert about a particular thing, if you're trying to build a community, if you're trying to figure out how to connect people, you know, those are powerful things that, traditionally you've had to kind of involve a bunch of people who maybe didn't share the vision. Mm. And now there's so much more autonomy and independence in what you're able to grow and create. And I think that's really powerful in terms of people really realizing their, their vision of what it is and bringing something great to life. So Lana, thank you so much thank for joining you, us. That's uh, I, awesome. I have show notes. I have show notes. Don't worry. We'll be sharing them. <laughs> Listeners play this episode back slowly <laughs> yeah. at half speed. Catch up all that information. Lana is always yeah. very quick and amazing with all of the info. So thank you very thank much you so for much. joining us. That's Lana Wheel. She's the founder of Market Mindfully, and she's also the creator of Women of Statue, and she's also the host of the upcoming In Kind Company podcast, which is focused on sharing stories of purpose-driven founders. So keep listening out for that as well. And, you know, I think today, if we've learned nothing else, it's that you can <laughs> do a lot of things yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, there are so many ways that you can find out about a product, um, find out about your customers, find out how to potentially build something. The amazing Lana Wheel, who speaks a mile a minute, but very clearly about all of the myriad tools that are available to you to potentially create something, you know, by yourself or at least, you know, so that you could, you know, if you haven't heard that term before, you could create a minimum viable product, an MVP, something that you can then test with customers. I think those are all important things to realise that you can do a lot before you even write a line of code. Yes, yes. And also you should be very careful as a flatmate of Megan Flamer. What do you mean? Careful? You should be grateful because you're probably going to meet the love of your life and then end up in a fantastic relationship that lasts forever. I feel like I'm personally responsible for like 10 children being alive. I'm like one of those old bubba ladies who lives in the weird house in the woods and you come for a blessing. Anyway. Anyway. I'm finding people <laughs> for a team is matchmaking too. And it's yes. a useful mindset to set out. If you can help matchmake other people into roles, other people will help matchmake and find the people for your team. Exactly. So Revenge of the Nerds, we hope you find someone perfect for your team that can really support your vision and is aligned with that and excited to help you bring that to life. And community minded, I hope that you're able to use some of the tools that Lana recommended so that you can go out into the world, keep growing your community and keep doing the amazing work that you're doing in connecting folks. We're so grateful for your letters. Please do keep them coming. You can find Alan on uh, Instagram. All the things. uh, At Big Yahoo. I'm on Instagram at Shiny Happy Healthy. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter. We're out there doing the things. You can send your letter to LinkedIn uh, or Disrupt uh, the website. We've got um, Disrupt on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Come up and chat to us at Startup Community Events. Yay, we're always there. We do the things. Um, But yeah, come and say hi and and let us know what's working, what's not, and ask us your questions. We are here to help. This is the Advisory Board. I'm Megan Flamer. I'm Alan Jones. And we will see you next time. Yay. Jeff Bezos, Ariana Huffington and Phil Knight are three of the world's most successful business people. What are their secrets? What were they like growing up and what's it like to work with them? Global Disruptors with me, Rob Little, is the podcast that gives you the backstory of the world's most successful people. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with Global Disruptors. The riveting radio series that delves deep into the world of extraordinary entrepreneurs. Global Disruptors explores the exceptional lives of the trailblazers who dared to defy the odds and rewrite the rules of the business world. What sets these mavericks apart? What secret source fuels their unwavering determination and grit? How do they keep their eyes on the prize, ignoring distractions and overcoming the toughest obstacles? Global Disruptors isn't just about the stories. We'll blend thoughtful analysis with moments of lighthearted humour to bring you the full inside scoop on these remarkable entrepreneurs, their triumphs, their struggles, and their indomitable spirit that propels them forward. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with global disruptors, only on Disrupt Radio.